Hey now, this is Getting Over, and I am Adam Silverstein here welcoming you into the second, let's call it pilot episode here, of this brand new podcast. For those uh, that have already listened to our first episode, you heard Dave and I basically break down our wrestling lives to this point, how we got started watching professional wrestling, how it has affected us personally and professionally over the years. But since this is a brand new podcast, since you guys are getting to know Dave and I as individuals and both as a team here uh, talking about pro wrestling, I thought it would be a smart move to discuss the state of professional wrestling in 2020. And Dave, I think it's fair to say, and you know, you made a point in the previous episode that there's always been a lot of wrestling. I think that is completely fair. But in 2020, the accessibility of professional wrestling, be it, you know, AEW and WWE and NXT, not to mention all the other North American promotions, a couple of other ones that certainly have national television, um, but just the ability to get NJPW World and pay, you know, 999 yen or whatever it is uh, per month and get wrestling from halfway across the entire world. I find it extremely ridiculous that there is this much of a single genre available to us when it is so specialized. Do you not have that same kind of feeling? Wrestling should cater to everyone. Ideally, it should work for everyone, right? WWE worked for everyone when I was a kid. WWE worked for um, children, adults, it's supposed it's supposed to be universal entertainment. That is not the case in a, in the world anymore, right? Music, television, uh, movies, everything is specialized. So wrestling is going to be specialized and demographically tailored. AEW is not for um, the people who like WWE. The people who like WWE like the repetition of it. The people who like WWE like the, the, the kind of goofy over the top storylines and, and, and they like the catchphrases and all of that stuff that you don't get from independent wrestling, from AEW, from New Japan. Um, everything is, is tailored to a specific type of fan. And, uh, I think it's fine. You know, I, it's not what I grew up with that everything has to feel sort of manicured and manufactured for a, a specific human being that doesn't actually exist but that's fine it's it's i'm glad there are alternatives and there are options i'm glad that orange cassidy can exist on the same television program as um as jake hager i think that's wonderful well look, look, i first want to say i don't think that's a necessarily fair characterization of wwe fans because i am someone who watches wwe I watch NXT, I watch AEW, and I enjoy all three now. In any given week, I can easily tell you that AEW may be the best product that I've seen on television, but that doesn't mean that's the same thing every week. And I do think that even within WWE, and we can maybe you know bridge this into a, a talk about the state of WWE these days, I don't think WWE from one brand to the next is consistent. Obviously, you have NXT, which is this outlier. Uh, some people like to say it's PWG with a budget. And you, you as someone who actually goes to PWG Live, and you'll talk about that because I've never been, and I honestly, I've never even seen it because it's almost impossible to get my hands on it. Um, but, you know, they say that about NXT. Certainly they hired a lot of those former guys. But even for me these days, Dave, Raw and SmackDown to me are completely different shows. And I know for some, whether you're a lapsed fan or whether you're someone who's just, 
annoyed with WWE and you want to completely focus your attention on AEW these days, that you may not notice that. But when you watch SmackDown on Friday nights, it is catering to that exact audience you're talking about. The audience that likes catchphrases, they want to hear Michael Cole talk about the big dog and it's boss time. Um, they don't mind that Goldberg's back and, and they're okay with those types of storylines. But when you look at Raw on Monday nights, I see them developing new characters. I see them trying to put together different, more unique, perhaps even a little bit more adult storylines. And I feel that the Raw audience these days in 2020, uh, you couldn't say the same thing, you know, 12 months ago, but in 2020 is being treated with a respect that the SmackDown audience has kind of almost fed the dog food that they put on television and said, you're going to watch anyway because it's on Fox and you're going to like it. Do you, are you able to make that same distinction or are you perhaps a little too jaded from WWE? No, no, I think Raw is definitely better. I think, you know, they've made a lot of really astute choices. Um, Drew McIntyre being given the mega push to the moon is a smart choice. Why that had, it had to be him and not someone else? Who knows? (laughs) I asked this question on my newsletter, um, this, this week of, Hey, Drew McIntyre is great, and we all kind of saw this coming. Um, you know, once he started doing squash matches and getting to cut promos and turning babyface, sort of. It's like, yeah, this is probably going to be the guy for Brock at WrestleMania. We were right. But why him? You know, what did he show Vince that he had, Vince hadn't seen in 50 other guys? In Kevin Owens or in Seth Rollins or in Finn Balor or, or any number of people. Why him? We'll never know. It could be just, you know, he humbled himself in the right way or because he got shredded or he Paul Heyman really likes him. Who knows? Nobody's going to ever find out because we're not there. I'm not there anymore. Um, so I see the differences. I see Alistair Black getting pushes, a uh, push. I see AJ Styles still being positioned and protected and, and, and being able to do his thing and, Actually being able to get the OC to get a Gallows Anderson on television, which was harder than you think <laughs> to get those two <laughs> dudes on TV. You know, you can you could have pitched them a million different ways, a million different times. Uh, and the answer would always be, no, God, why? He's, they're terrible. Uh, so I'm glad that they're, they, they made it on TV. It's clear to me that there's more influence from Paul Heyman than than there was before. I I truly do believe that he has his fingers in the show more than he did when I was there, because there are people getting pushes that wouldn't otherwise have been getting pushes. Um, That's just, that just, it's just, it's gotta be somebody. It's gotta be somebody that's not Vince. Yeah. Uh, And I I think when you look at SmackDown, it's clear with Bruce Pritchard kind of running that show now, that's not someone who is going to tell Vince no. Historically. Absolutely not. No, he is not there. <laughs> From what I could gather, he was not there to rock the boat in any way. Um, and that's, that is a okay. And, and God bless him for, for his work and everything that he's, he's given to the wrestling business. But Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I don't, I don't see him as, as, someone who's trying to, to steer the ship one way or the other. It's just trying to keep it from sinking. Um, and SmackDown is more important than Raw to WWE right now because their revenue across the board for WWE is is falling. 
from um, you know, live attendance gates to merchandise to network subscriptions. It's all falling. So the thing that's going to keep them afloat and keep them keep their stock price high is making Fox happy. So they're going to have to. I mean, why do you think Goldberg is the Universal Champion? They got to figure something out to keep that show from tanking in the ratings, especially during WrestleMania season. So it, SmackDown, SmackDown, unfortunately, is going to suffer from the attention that is being placed on it. Everything that gets attention at WWE gets meddled with into oblivion. Yeah, and and that's that's very true because when you look at really the last four years or so, really since the brand split, whatever the A show of WWE has been, has been largely bad. Whereas the B show, when it's been given a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more uh, opportunity to be creative, maybe Vince isn't as zeroed in on it as he is on the quote-unquote A show, you saw SmackDown for a period of time be a very good show and a, a drastic stark alternative to Raw. And now that SmackDown is on Fox, and that's the quote-unquote A show, you have seen that flipped, in my opinion. And it's not necessarily what we as fans want, because we want what we see on Raw to be the... If you're going to watch five hours of WWE TV, I'd rather it all be what Raw is now than what SmackDown is now. For me, there's a clear difference. And it, it it's frustrating, because it shows you that even though Raw is not operating at the level that WWF did during the Attitude Era, let's say, with long-term storylines and ensuring that long feuds and, and bookings paid off, the right people got pushed, um, others were given opportunities. You, you see a little bit of that on Raw now. You don't see any of that really on SmackDown. And even when you get taste of it, like you get Mustafa Ali for a couple months, you're like, oh, wow, they're going to do something with him. Or Chad Gable, for as terrible as the Shorty G gimmick is, the fact that he was on television, and you thought, wow, they might actually push this guy. And if he can make this work, maybe he does have a long-term future there. The fact that there always seems to be that obstacle that you're talking about, the thumb maybe of Vince McMahon saying these people can get over, these people can't, and that's just how it's going to be. That is, for me, the biggest negative with WWE. It's that and them con consistently overreacting. So you saw when the ratings started to tank, this is way before the Fox USA deals, I think they were still negotiating them. They decided to bring the 24-7 title in, which I thought was, by the way, a good idea in, in some ways, but not executed properly. But you also had Mick Foley come out and like say, hey, the third hour of Raw is going to be different. We're going to dim the lights and it's going to be, I forgot even what he called it. They did it for two weeks. They got rid of it. Um, they quickly end storylines when they don't think it's working rather than trying to pay them off and, and then turning them in, in a different direction. They take The Fiend, who was over as all hell, and they put him in a title match for no good reason. And then they give it the worst possible booking because now Vince is involved in it. And it's not just the more organic nature of whatever, whoever signed off on Bray, and maybe you can even tell me, uh, Bray being able to be as creative as he was with the introduction of the team. Uh, once that process ended and they decided, oh, we're going to strap a rocket to him and we're actually going to go with this, you could drastically see the differences in his vignettes and how the character was portrayed on television. So I think that's my biggest issue with WWE these, these days. It's it's not just that they don't have the foresight to book long-term, but it's when things are happening. If they're not 100% over, they're going to stomp their foot on it, end it, and just go with the old tried and true. We're going to keep giving you Roman Reigns 
and Baron Corbin rather than, you know what, Sheamus is back. Let's put him in a feud with Reigns right away. Let him get a win over Reigns and then maybe get a win, let Reigns get a win back two or three months down the line. Yeah, it's, I will spell one thing. Um, you know, Vince, Vince McMahon pays attention to everything. There's this, there's this idea that like, oh, we went SmackDown's good. Vince isn't paying attention. Well, he's always paying attention. If he wasn't, believe me, (laughs) there were a lot of people who wouldn't have quit or been fired from SmackDown if, if Vince McMahon was not paying attention. He 100% pays attention to everything. Mm-hmm. He pays attention less to some things. He'll let some things go um, if he's, you know, got a dinner reservation or something. <laughs> but he certainly pays attention. My God, I, I mean, there, there, are, there were so many times where I thought we came up with something really good, a really cool idea, and it was like, mm, let's not do that. Well, let's not do that. Uh, and then it comes back and it's changed, and it's you know more of this more formula than right. than what we wanted it to be. So he paid attention to SmackDown, you know, the whole time because uh, he was a character on TV when I was there. Mm. You know, he was still performing. He was Mr. McMahon and he was working with Kofi and getting that whole story over. So he was he was stretched pretty thin at the time, but he was still participating heavily in the in the creative. And I'm sure he still does today. You know, I've I've, I've obviously I've heard all the rumors that you know, he's pulling away and that sure. kind of thing. But sure. but uh, I have no idea if that's true or not. Um, but he certainly was involved when I was there and um, was was the 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 um, end all be all for everything. As as for like, you know, pushes starting and stopping or stories getting dropped. <laughs> it's he's also got a short attention span right <laughs> and he gets bored with stuff and he thinks some things are not good you know I, shorty g i don't know this is breaking news <laughs> it probably isn't because if it was i was breaking news i'd probably get in trouble but uh, shorty, shorty g was his idea oh of course it was yeah he wanted <laughs> there's no one else that came up with that gimmick other than vince Come he's on. here's yeah. the thing is he's short that he should be short and people should make fun of him for his size. So, like, that was his idea. Of course he was going to get a push and he was going to be on TV. That came from the, the chairman himself. But, eventually, it doesn't work. Or there's another shiny object for him to play with. That's going to get pushed. Or... Let's here's here's another example or another another theory actually another theory about what happened is maybe he is pulling away, maybe he has decided yeah you know I'm old, XFL is happening I need to focus on that, Bruce, Paul you're in charge, I'll 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 read and review everything but for the most part you guys can do whatever you want. And maybe Bruce Pritchard's like, Shorty G, fuck, sorry. And Bruce Pritchard looks at him and says, Shorty G sucks. This is bad. I don't want this on my television show. And then Shorty G gets kicked off TV. Maybe he doesn't like Mustafa Ali. Vince McMahon liked the whole Mustafa Ali gimmick. He thought he had potential. There was a lot of interest in the company in pushing that guy, giving him TV time, giving him vignettes. I know one writer was especially excited about working with Mustafa Ali. I won't say who it is because 
he might end up listening to this one day. Uh, and if you know who you are, I don't like you as a person. <laughs> <laughs> Just want that to be clear. All right, um, burning bridges already. This is good stuff. I don't. There are no bridges to burn. I would never. <laughs> I wouldn't if they if they offered me the job of head writer of Raw tomorrow. I would say, <laughs> "Are you kidding me? I'm not stupid." Anyway, um, it's it's clear that there was regime change, and there was. Yeah, people left. I was not the only one to get fired after that after WrestleMania. People quit before WrestleMania. People got fired after WrestleMania. It's there are probably a lot of people there that I did not work with. Um, my ex-wife texted me and said, do you know this guy? I just matched with him on, on a dating app. And I was like, oh, yeah, I worked with him at WWE. He's in L.A. now. He must have been fired. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, there's a whole new staff there. There are new people. I, I don't even know if the guy that I don't, I'm referring to that I didn't like is still there. But he probably is because he's a sneak. Um, yeah, it's, it's just things change. And, and part of why stories get cut, killed, part of why, um, characters stop getting pushed, new characters get pushed, new writers. There's a lot of turnover. Vince gets bored with stuff. So it's, it's short attention spans and it's, it's, it's constant churn. Things are going to, stories are not going to com complete themselves sometimes. That was what was wonderful about working there during the Kofi story is we got to tell a story from beginning, middle to end. That almost never happens. That's It's an actual story. WrestleMania this year is, well, let's um let's see, Goldberg. Let's bring Goldberg in. And then uh, who's the biggest star? We've got Roman Reigns. All right, let's just have them wrestle. Right. Why are they mad at each other? I don't know. They're not mad at each other. That's the thing. They're not mad. Wrestling storylines are about two people, sometimes three, sometimes four, being mad at each other, having a reason to hate each other. Roman Reigns and Goldberg have no reason to hate each other. Right, and instead of them having a reason, they're going to spend the next three to four weeks concocting a reason because it's his yard now and Goldberg, you know, has been on top of the business for so long, even though we've only seen him three times in the last, you know, however many years. But th that's exactly it. WrestleMania 36 this year, and we can close talking about WWE on this, is a microcosm of everything that's wrong with WWE. Because rather than, what WrestleMania for me growing up, we mentioned it on the last show, it was the payoff. For all of these storylines, and some of them were long, eight months, some of them were short, two or three months, right? But it was the payoff of all of these storylines that had developed over the course of a year in WWE, back then WWF, back in the day, where you needed to see the resolution. You had to see, man, uh, Austin and Rock are finally getting their hands on each other in the main event of WrestleMania at X7. How the hell is this going to end? Who's going to win the title, right? We're finally getting. Um, Shawn Michaels, uh, you know, in an Iron Man match. How is that going to going to transpire with Bret Bret Hart? You know, which is the which guy is going to come out on top of this long term feud that I can't even imagine ever ending? And you don't get that in WWE anymore. Yes, they did build Kofi really well last year, and honestly, 
Becky and Ronda and Charlotte, despite it being convoluted and all the different machinations that we got where really the fans just wanted Becky and Ronda, but, you know, and clearly the initial direction was Ronda and Charlotte. They had to make that switch. Um, it still kind of got there in the end, and there were were some good stories on the road to that WrestleMania. Um, so, but aside from those, WWE is not giving that to us this year. Instead, they threw together a John Cena theme match. They threw together Roman Reigns Goldberg. Apparently, reportedly, if you want to tr- trust Meltzer, changing plans on what was a long term build for Fiend Roman Reigns, which again is exactly what I'm talking about. They had been building toward that match with the Fiend overcoming. Uh, a lot of his foes previously as Bray Wyatt, all the guys, all the wrestlers that kept him down, now finally overcoming that as champion Roman, you know, coming off his real life leukemia, not necessarily getting title opportunities, losing some feuds, losing some key matches, finally st- starting to find himself again, all building to this ro- road of, you know, going back to the anyone but you promo that Bray Wyatt used to cut on Roman Reigns in the Shield. Um, so, they had these opportunities, but they decided to just push them off to the wayside and instead are going with these quick twitch um, matches that I think may draw some more viewers from casuals, but you're not serving your core audience, which is your dedicated weekly television watchers that want to see feuds pay off. They want to jump out of their chairs. They want to chant for Kofi Kingston. They want to chant for the man, Becky Lynch, like they did a year ago. And Dave, I think that's exactly... What AEW is providing these days when we talk about the rise of a chief competitor to WWE, which it really has not had since WCW. For me, I thought AEW started out okay in 2019. Obviously, it was about nine months of build until Dynamite started in October. I thought Dynamite was fine from October to December. I know you're not as big of an NXT fan as I am. I thought NXT, honestly, most weeks beat it in terms of quality, in terms of in-ring action. But I think you have to not have eyes and ears if you didn't admit that from January 1st, 2020 until now when we're speaking. So basically two full months of Dynamite, approximately eight episodes, that AEW Dynamite right now is the most consistent television program week to week. And they have turned a creative corner um, and begun treating their audience with the respect that wrestling audiences, smart wrestling audiences in particular, deserve. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you that... that- NXT was better for a stretch of time. I think mostly during the fall. Like I, it, they started, AEW started really hot, and I thought the show was di- so different. Even though it's still the trappings of wrestling, there's still a ring, there's still a stage, there's still all the stuff. There's still promos. It's not like Lucha Underground and and so far away from wrestling presentation that you know that it feels like another thing. But it was different. And then it started to settle into this groove of just hokiness. It started to feel silly. There wasn't really a lot of focus to, to each individual episode. The energy just wasn't there. It was like they hit a wall. Right. Um, and then after the new year, it was like what everything that was bad, they got rid of. The Nightmare Collective. <laughs> I mean, they, Vince, Vince McMahon never would have killed that. Um, I don't think Vince McMahon ever would have booked that, honestly. Oh, That's I, how bad I, it was. I, I disagree. <laughs> Dude, that was worse. The Nightmare Collective was worse than Shorty G. I got to I, I don't know. Uh, I, the Nightmare Collective was very bad. But if it was a Vince McMahon idea um, in the way that the Nightmare Collective was a Cody and Brandy idea, uh, it was 
Vince was going to keep it going. Vince will keep it going, and and the social media person will be like, "Well, yeah, you know, our our audience by and large thinks that this sucks," and he'll go, "That's hilarious," and then we'll move on, <laughs> like with Baron Corbin. Like, oh, they hate him, huh? <laughs> oh, like Constable Corbin, yeah, Constable excellent. Corbin. Uh no, this was, yeah, this was like you know Kurt Angle and Corbin right. era, and people were so pissed. And he's like, he found it hilarious. Uh, it would have continued, and the more the people complained, the more they doubled down on it because it's gets good heat. It's getting heat. The people are mad. That means they're gonna pay tickets to see these 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 dastardly heels get beat up. That was not what the reaction to the Nightmare Collective was. And the reaction was, this is terrible. And they said they. To Cody and Brandy and Tony Khan's credit, they said this isn't working. Awesome Khan is not able to wrestle. She's going back to do glow. Let's just kill it now because it's not ever going to work. And they did it. They killed it. It was great. And they and they didn't just get rid of it. They gave a, a rational explanation for why it went away. Brandy talked about why it didn't work from a shoot perspective in interviews. Everybody was like, okay, yeah, it didn't pay off really, other than, you know, a couple segments on dark and then some weird vignettes. But, and that is what AEW does, the WWE doesn't do. And also, the storylines are compelling and they continue. And there is, there is, there is, um, depth to it. Not depth in the way that, you know, you watching Better Call Saul, uh, it, it has depth. You know, it's, that's, it's, this is not prestige television. But what it is, is an ongoing soap opera. That is what they say about wrestling all the time. It is a soap opera. Well, that is not the case with WWE. WWE is not a soap opera. It is a collection of events that occur. Right. So when they airlift Goldberg in, Goldberg wrestles Roman Reigns, I will grant you, Goldberg and Roman Reigns is going to be more appealing to a casual audience tuning in during WrestleMania season than Goldberg and The Fiend. Because people will look at it and say, who is this guy in the mask? wrestling Roman Reigns. This is weird. I don't know what this is. Or they'll watch and they'll be like, okay, that's fine. But Goldberg, it's like, oh, Goldberg. I remember Goldberg from being a kid. I love Goldberg. He's so neat. I remember when he wrestled Hulk Hogan. So that gets people. But then, it's over. Right? Then it's done. Roman Reigns wins the title, presumably, and we all move on with our lives. Goldberg goes back to Colorado or wherever he lives, and we'll see him again at SummerSlam. But you can't keep a, a, a an invested fan that excited about wrestling when there are no storylines or payoffs. And you certainly can't keep a casual fan if Goldberg shows up for two months and then goes away. Then that means you don't need to watch the rest of it. They've created a situation where you don't have to watch Raw every week. But, or but SmackDown that, every week. But, but that's the thing, because it's not that bringing Goldberg in for two months is bad. It's that if you're I agree, going, it's fine. It, totally if you're fine. Go, do it. If, if you're going to do it, you have to... It doesn't take much brain power. It really doesn't to have some minor storyline behind it. Like, think about all the years that Undertaker came back only for WrestleMania. They figured out a way for him to return where it made sense and then had the match. And usually he won, obviously, except with the exception of Brock and then Roman. Um, but, but it made sense why he was there. It made sense why the person was challenging him right now. You have AJ and the undertaker who are going to be challenging each other. And it's like, why, 
because he interrupted the gauntlet match uh, and be and choke slammed him. And why did he do that? Because AJ mentioned him one time on television, didn't call him out, didn't challenge him for mania, didn't do anything like that. You have Goldberg back to face the fiend. Why? He didn't tell us why. He just said, fiend, you're next. That's not storyline. That's literally as lazy as it can possibly be. You have Roman Reigns challenging Goldberg for the title. Why? Because he said, I'm next. Okay, sure. Maybe he's earned that carte blanche in kayfabe to be the guy who can get a title match anytime. But that's exactly why we hate Roman Reigns. We don't like Roman and Charlotte because they get title matches randomly whenever they want and often win them, right? And you've just spent the last calendar year protecting Roman with pretty solid booking, all things considered, to just not get him booed. And then you bring him into this title match and it's why does he deserve a title shot? Because I said so. And why? Because he said so. And why aren't they doing the Elimination Chamber match? Because they felt that it was too obvious that he was going to win. Meanwhile, they're still doing the Elimination Chamber match for the women where it's so obvious that Shayna Baszler is going to win. So it's not, to, to your point, Dave, it's not that having these people there is bad. But use them properly. Give us a storyline that we can sink our teeth into for six weeks rather than just say, they're here, you're going to watch, pay us $9.99. Yeah, and AEW, so let's go back to AEW because they deserve our time before we Absolutely. wrap up. Absolutely. AEW created a situation where it was obvious that Moxley and Jericho were going to be the big um, attraction for the springtime. It was obvious that they were building to Moxley winning the title. They put a lot of obstacles in Moxley's way. They right. did a lot of stuff with, with the inner circle. All of it was fun. All of it was entertaining. Despite the fact that we knew who was going to win. Guess what? Most wrestling fans know how these things are going to go. Of course. You can't fool us into thinking, well, Roman Reigns is not going to win the Elimination Chamber. Uh, and uh, it's going to be somebody else. Like we don't care about surprises in that in that way. What we care about is is well told storylines that pay off. Because it's not like I I turn on a television show or a, or a movie. I I don't turn on uh, Avengers Endgame and wonder, oh, are they going to beat Thanos at the end? Or not? <laughs> like yeah, they're gonna. And how? How are they going to do it? How and, are and, they going to do and, it? And how is take it going to entertain me? For the ride. Yes, take yes. me along for the ride and entertain me for the period of time before the ending happens, which I know is going to be the good guys winning. And, I and, knew Moxley was going to win, and that's okay. They built it to a logical point uh, where this attraction was a thing we wanted to see. They gave us months, weeks of, of building it up and making us want to see the attraction. That is what Vince McMahon used to be so good at is this is the attraction. We're going to prepare for two months, uh, six weeks, three months, six months, however long it is. This is the attraction we're going to build to for WrestleMania or SummerSlam or Royal Rumble or whatever it is. And then we pay it off. And you didn't just want to see John Moxley win, though. You wanted to see Chris Jericho lose. And that's why he's a good heel. And that's why the Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan story last year worked so well, because everyone knew there was no way. And maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but there was no way Kofi was not winning the title. After all of that buildup, you knew. But how is he going to do it? What's the reaction going to be? And how much is it going to matter? It mattered not only because Kofi won the title. We all wanted that. Had they thrown him in the match if he had won the Royal Rumble and he gets a title match and that's it, we still would have been really happy. 
But the reason why people in the crowd standing next to me, sitting next to me, of all ages and genders, the reason they cried, cried, hugged each other, celebrated like their team had won a Super Bowl, was because of the Kofi Kingston storyline that took us there and the Daniel Bryan storyline where this guy who we were all behind, who was told he was a B-plus player, is now acting like an entitled jerk and trying to hold down someone who had been held down for reasons beyond just whether he was a quote-unquote main eventer um, for the majority of his career. So WWE is capable of doing this. They have the horses. I think they have the talent in the writer's room. I don't necessarily know them individually, but my guess is when you have 30 writers, you got seven of them who are pretty damn capable of telling good stories. Um, and they have the experience long-term. You're seeing it with Randy Orton and Edge now. You can draw back from things. You can still use older dudes. You have these this history um, to, to draw on when you're in WWE. So it makes it even more unacceptable when they're lazy, when they not necessarily don't try, but when they just kind of throw things out there and expect that we will buy them and eat them up. And AEW, to bring it back to AEW and kind of close here, Dave, they don't treat their audiences like that. Granted, they're new, but they treat their audience like every single booking decision that they make matters because it matters not only to them and the wrestlers, but it matters to the fans. And the storylines don't lose momentum. You know, you could have you could have tuned into the the dynamite after Revolution, and maybe Moxley's already moved on, Jericho's not on the show, or whatever. You know, right. how WWE usually does it is all Brock's right, so gone. This, Brock loses the title. You don't see him for a month. Yeah, you know? this this storyline is over. That means now it's on to something else. And and in in that universe, John Moxley comes out and cuts an in ring promo, and he's like. I I want to I want a real challenge now, and all you guys in the back need to know that I'm the locker room leader, and and this is my this is my show now. Whatever it could have been, and then of course somebody interrupts and says, "Actually, I'm the locker room leader, and everyone respects <laughs> me more than they respect you." Right, right, right. And it's like, well, then we should fight. It's like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not ready to fight. I would prefer not to, but I have these this this tag team. And what if we worked a six-man tag team match tonight? Or why we? Why should we wait until tonight? Let's do it right now. And then they ring the bell, and we go to commercial, and we come back, and the match has started. And oh boy, we got a six-man tag team match, and John Moxley is in the ring, and he's competing. And what will happen? It's like, who cares what happens? You've just you've given me nothing here. The storyline is about quote unquote respect from the locker room. Right. I I don't understand what that means. I'm not in the locker room. <laughs> Who's the locker room? You mean all these jabronis fighting over the 24/7 championship? Why do you what do you care what EC3 thinks about you? <laughs> that is what they're fighting for is respect from a bunch of people who aren't on television. You should hate all of them. Yep. You should hate every single person in that locker room except for your friends because they all want your title. Being the locker room leader makes no sense because they're not competing with anyone except for each other. In the, it's just so maddening. But AEW, the way that they did it, the storyline between Jericho and Moxley isn't over because Jericho didn't disappear. He's still there and he still wants his title. And it will continue until we find out who the next person is going to be to challenge him. But in the same way that Jericho didn't magically stop hating Cody Rhodes and, and, and continue trolling him 
you know, the pain maker posse was a, was a, a way to make fun of the nightmare family and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they still hate each other, even though their, their match was months ago. Oh yeah. It and, and... all continues. It's all a part of a, a continuum of storylines and it engages you. So if you are a casual viewer and you tune into AEW and you get hooked by those stories, they will continue to bring you in. They will still make you want to watch the show. Yeah, it is It is interesting, Dave. And I do think that as we start 2020, one of the top storylines, for me at least, is we have seen AEW be consistent, not just in terms of the product over the last two months, um, but the audience. It has remained everywhere between the low 800s and, and bordering on a million, but it hasn't necessarily gotten there since October when it initially debuted. So it's going to be interesting to see not just what WWE does in 2020, especially now that AEW is more of a legitimate threat than they may have looked like, you know, this time last year. Um, but how AEW, whether it improves its product or, or even if it's not that, how it increases its reach. And if it does start bringing in more fans while WWE is in this weird period where parts of WWE are appealing, others are really, SmackDown in particular is not really meant for anyone. Um, and NXT is this really unique, completely different brand of wrestling that we didn't actually talk about on either of these shows. Um, but for me, for those of you that have listened to me long term, no, it's actually my favorite brand of professional wrestling in North America as of right now. But that uh, was our look at the state of wrestling in 2020. There's going to be a lot more coming from Getting Over Wrestling Podcast uh, over the next days, weeks and months. So stay tuned. There will be new episodes dropping very soon. Please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. You can follow him at Dave underscore Shilling and Dave also has a wrestling newsletter with two issues out every week. Dave, how can they subscribe to that? Uh, go to daveshilling.substack.com, click the subscribe button. You can subscribe for free and you'll get the AEW reviews every week. If you pay $7 a month or $70 a year flat, you will get the WWE reviews too. And periodically you'll get uh, pay-per-view reviews. You'll get, uh, the opportunity to do uh, Q&As with me because, you know, a lot of the things that maybe uh, are more, uh, you know, salacious about my time at WWE uh, are not fit for public consumption. So if you pay, you get all that stuff. The things that I have to say that maybe I won't say on this podcast. They don't want people to know about that stuff. Maybe I'll even use the name of the person that I don't like who's a WWE. <laughs> Who knows? But you have to pay. Well, we, we will see what we can and cannot draw out of Dave here on Getting Over. Don't forget also, please head on over to iTunes. Give us that five-star review. Let us know that you're enjoying the show. Your reviews and your feedback are as important as anything else in ensuring that this show grows, stays afloat, and keeps getting better week by week. As I said, new episodes coming into your, not really your inbox, but being alerted to your phone or, or you know sent out via Twitter coming very soon. There's going to be an instant analysis of WWE Elimination Chamber on Sunday, and we are going to get rolling next week with Tuesday and Thursday shows covering uh, Raw and SmackDown on Tuesdays, and AEW and NXT on Thursday. So for Dave Scoop, D. Schilling, I'm the Silver King, Adam Silver King. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.